1: Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 376. I want you all to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now, go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Howard Beale, Network. And show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business with case studies examining successes and failures. This book shows you the step by step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film series or any other kind of video content, the film method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's film, B-I-Z, book.com. Today's show is also sponsored by the Make Your Movie Boot Camp. You want to make a feature film but have no idea where to begin? I feel you because that's exactly where I was when I first got started, but I finally decided to stop talking about making a movie and go out and just do it. After working in the business for over 25 years and working with some of the biggest clients and stars in Hollywood, I decided to finally make my first micro-budget feature film that was self-distributed, sold around the world, and I even got a streaming deal from Hulu. It took me years of hard work to learn from my mistakes and to get where I am today. I want to help filmmakers break through their own fears and show them the secret sauce on how to make a profitable film. The Make Your Movie Bootcamp is a two-day intensive covering on day one, micro-budget filmmaking, and on day two, the Filmtrepreneur Method, where you learn how to create revenue from your feature films. We cover everything from flushing out your idea, the screenwriting process, finding money, crowdfunding, directing your film, post-production workflows, marketing, film deliverables, self-distribution secrets, and how not to get ripped off by predatory film distributors. The bootcamp takes place March 28th and 29th in Burbank, California, and spaces are limited, so act now. Head over to mymbootcamp.com, that's mymbootcamp.com. Now today, guys, we have a special episode. It is a crossover event between the Film Entrepreneur Podcast and the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I do these every once in a while. Sometimes I do bonus episodes, but this is a full official crossover event because this episode is awesome. And my, today's guest is Mark Harris, who is a film entrepreneur by the definition I laid out in my book, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. This man is a filmmaker who started off with micro-budget films, sold over 10,000 DVDs by himself, self-distributing it, and built himself an indie filmmaking empire over the last decade, and now is shopping for his own backlot in his hometown. He is an inspiration, and originally this was just going to be for the Film Entrepreneur Podcast, but I just couldn't help myself. The Indie Film Hustle tribe needs to hear this episode as well. Mark and I get into the weeds on how he did it, what he did, how he's serving and being of value to his niche audience, how he understood his audience, how he's making money with his films besides just selling his DVDs, which, by the way, there's some amazing little tips and tricks on how he was able to package his movie with some other events that he was putting on so he can sell more DVDs and get his brand of cinema out there. It is just a very, very inspirational story. So, without any further ado, please enjoy my inspirational film entrepreneurial conversation with Mark Harris. I'd like to welcome to the show Mark Harris, man. Thank you so much for being on the show, brother.
2: Alex, thank you, my brother. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
1: Man, you know, I got to, uh, I got, I wanted you on the show, man, because hustle recognizes hustle yes and uh you my friend hustle a lot and yeah. uh i i i see it all i don't see it often but when i see it we can smell our own yes. uh <laughs> when it comes to hustle and uh i saw you pass through my feed and when i heard your story man i was like oh no this this guy has to be on the show i gotta dig into some of this stuff i gotta ask you a question so before we get into it man How did you get into the film business, which I I know a little bit of that story, but please tell the audience.
2: So uh, I started off as, you know, when I was was in college, I used to write poetry, but I never ever thought that I would actually make films. It never just entered my mind as far as to go into the film business. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I always uh, had a love for movies from, you know, John Hughes to The Officer and Gentleman, you had spike lee you had kevin smith quentin tarantino so I, 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 mars Scorsese was my favorite but i always had this love for movies right and right. it was around 1997 is when i decided you know what i'm gonna uh start just writing screenplays i never wanted to direct i just wanted to write screenplays and sell my screenplays that's it mm-hmm. and as you you know you may know be familiar with you know to sell a screenplay play
1: is pretty hard if you Oh, no, it's look. easy it's you just write the screenplay you send it in they send you a check it's just the way it works <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and so with me that's like i was like you know so it, it took a while it took a while so but at the end of the day i you know went out I bought sid fields screenwriting book i read a lot of screenplays um i i just you know took that time to actually learn the craft and then from 90, 97 to 2004 2005 it was just writing, 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 writing. And then it was a situation that took place where uh, I, I used to write for people, you know, and I didn't get paid for it. You know, I used to just write in the hopes of, OK, my a script is going to be turned into a movie. It, it never happened. And so I had this situation where a, a filmmaker told me, OK, if you write this for me, this is going to be my next project. And I did it. It wasn't his next project. <laughs> Shock,
1: shocking, sir. Shock. You mean to yes. tell me you spoke to a filmmaker who told you one thing and did something else you, in this business? That's unheard of. I've never heard anything like that, <laughs> sir.
2: And then uh, I was like, okay. So it was it was frustrating, but mm-hmm. it was the best thing that ever happened to me because at that moment I said, you know what? At this at this time, if I'm going to write, I mean, if I'm going, if I want my stories told, I have to do it myself. I never, I never ever stepped on a film set. I didn't go to film school. I, I just brought in people who knew a little bit more than what I knew. And then we made the, our first project. Um, and that was the end of it. You know, in 2005, I made my first, my first film. And then
1: we, we haven't looked back since then. Nice, man. In 2005, yeah. the technology was, uh, let's, let's yeah. say, challenging. It was very
2: challenging. Because yes. in
1: 2005, I made my first short film, my, my first major short film, which I shot on the, I'm going to kick it old school for everybody listening, on the Panasonic DVX-100A camera on mini DV, edited on Final Cut 4. Yes. Four, I think. And uh, that was color graded on that, but I used a television, just a normal television to color grade. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: And uh, and then we did some visual effects in Shake back in the day. So what did you use for that first movie? I'm just curious.
2: Oh. We shot on the uh my DP. He, he had a Panasonic camera, but it was the mini DV, uh, the mini DV. It's probably the same one. The same, the same thing. Yeah, it looked very. It, looked it, was,
1: fun. it, it was cinematic as hell, wasn't it?
2: Yes, it was. It was. It was funny It was nice.
1: <laughs> I know we're laughing about it now, but man, yeah. for people listening, you have to understand. In two thousand four, two thousand five, when someone just said twenty four p, we're like, "What is going on?" It was because all, all we had was that thirty p video stuff from Canon, yeah. the oh. Canon XL uh, one or the XL two or something like that. And that DVX came out, boy, that was a beautiful camera, man. I love that camera. I shot a lot of stuff with that little camera, man. It was, it was great. Great little camera. All right. Enough of going back and showing how old we are. Um, so you also had some former, uh, you, 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 kind of learned to hustle from your other businesses you did prior to getting into filmmaking. So what some, what were some of these other hustles you were doing and how did they translate?
2: Okay, so I started off. You know, I used to sell
1: pagers. And what's, I what's, like, a page, I, I, what's a pager, sir? What's a pager? I've never heard of that. I don't, don't understand <laughs> so what that is.
2: And, you know, like what the
1: doctors use. They use a the little pager, and then you—you uh, you mean a beeper? You. you mean a beeper?
2: A, beep, a beeper. Yeah, and it will beep you, and you will uh, go to a phone, a payphone, and so I. Well, oh, so stop! Stop right
1: there. Payphone. Uh-huh. What is that? No, I'm joking. I'm okay. joking. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> joking.
2: <laughs> yeah, all this, all of this, is like obsolete now. I know, right? Yes, and so. Um, I would uh I owned a pager business, a beeper business. And what I would do is I started off first initially with selling beepers out of my um briefcase. So I would go door to door, I would go on the street and just sell the briefcase. I mean sell the beepers, and then I decided like, you know what, I'm gonna open the business. So I opened a beeper, actually a store. Uh I opened one in Chicago, and then I had um one, I had two in Chicago as a matter of fact, then I had one in Indiana. And so and from that point, you know, we uh, then I opened a uh, cleaners and then which was uh, in, in my community where I grew up at, we opened a cleaner. So I learned the hustle from, you know, just open businesses and f- having them, you know, fail businesses and just learning, you know, just the hustle having to go out to market the business, you know, having to go out to uh, talk to different people, to customers. So I took that same uh, law or that same format when I went into the, a film business and I just did the same thing. You just hustled.
1: You just a straight did, out hustle. Yes. yes, man. I, I tell you, sometimes I tell people like you know, I th- I wish you nothing but struggle when you're first starting out. I always tell people that, like I really do, because that really is what makes you. It teaches you yes. how to walk the path, and that's why um uh in in, in my new book I use this examples like that's why lottery ticket winners, eighty percent of them are broke and in worse financial situation within five years then when they before they won the the lottery is because they they just got to this they got the goal without doing any of the struggle there was no struggle for that that gold and they had no they didn't have the skill set to handle the success so Mm -hmm. i always sound like i wish you nothing but a slow process going up so you can learn the skills you need and you did that but not even in the film industry you did it outside the film industry but you brought it into it right yes yeah, I mean, I sold. I mean, I, sold, I mean, I've told this on the show many times. I used to have an olive oil and vinegar gourmet shop here in LA for uh-huh. three years, and I learned a lot. You, you, you want to learn about hustle? Go to a farmers market, and you want to learn about competition. You learn. You, you, you're you're literally six feet away from your competition. I'm not joking. Across from it, and a customer walks in, and you got to get them to come to your booth. Mm-hmm. That that is competition.
0: That's that competition. is.
1: That is hustle. And you got to look somebody else in the eye going, you're not going to eat tonight. (laughs) So that's what you, so I I love that. I love that. That's where you kind of got this hustle. Now, before we continue, man, a lot of people are probably wondering, so why is this guy on the show? From my understanding, you have built a career on your own outside of Hollywood, making the movies you want to make, selling the movies you want to make, creating revenue streams, for these films, and able to replicate again and again. And up to date, you have, I think, 19 or 20 feature yes. film under your belt that you've produced, directed, written, and you've been hustling it the entire time. So that's why, for everyone listening, that's why I have him on the show, because we're going to get into how he's doing this, because you are, as we like to call in the business, are a unicorn, sir. You are, It doesn't happen. It's very rare to find someone like you in the business, at least from my point of view, who I talk to so many filmmakers. You've actually led with the business, but you also have that art aspect of it as well. So can you break down how you created a sustainable filmmaking career? I know that's a big question, but do the best you can. Oh, well,
2: so what I would do is initially, um, and it took a while, it took a while to build up my customer base. And I will say from 2005 until I say 2009, around 2009, uh, 2010, is I was working, a, you know, I was working, a, I started working for a furniture store. After the page of business went out, the cleaner business went out, I started working for this this very well-known furniture store in Chicago called Aronson Furniture. And I was selling furniture. But at the same time, I was building my customer base up, base up and I was shooting films on the weekends. And with uh, with the good friend Ricardo Eastless, and who also is you know who also has uh, made about 20, 25 films as well. So what I would do is I would produce his films, and he would shoot. He would uh, uh, he would be my, he would shoot and edit my films. So, so we would trade off. So you know so we would trade off. And at the but at the same time, what I was doing was I was I would just get DVDs pressed up. And when I get DVDs pressed up, I would just go out door to door. I would go out on the street and I would sell the DVDs. So I would get, I would get like a thousand at a time and I would hold different events. Like I would hold a poetry event and from the poetry event, I would do like a package deal, meaning that for $25, you get a DVD, you get some music and you get like a plate of food. It was like for $25. So I would hold these different types of events and where I would get 300 people to come out. And what I would do is when these 300 people come out, I would make, I would build a email list. And I would just keep them updated of what's going on, what I'm doing, and things like that. So it got to the point where, where um, I had this massive email list and this massive uh, um, email list. So when I did this movie called Black Butterfly in 2009, it was, it was a movie that we made for $9,500. And I met with um, E1, mm-hmm. uh, Entertainment One. I had a meeting with them. With this guy named Ellen Blackwell, and he was over like the urban division, and he was like, "Okay, how much do you want for the film?" I say, "Make me an offer." <laughs> so he made me an offer for the film, and from that point, when he made me that offer for the film, I just took that, uh, reinvested into another film, and do, then
1: do, I. Do, 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 what, can, do you mind telling me what that offer was?
2: Yeah, he, he paid, he, they gave me
1: 50000 Oh, gosh, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Living the dream, baby. You're living the yeah. dream. What year, what year is this? This was in 2010. So the world was very different back then. The world yeah. was very different back then as far as uh, content and streaming was just, just stepping out.
2: Right. And so I don't know if you're familiar with IndieFlix.
1: Of course, I have oh, yeah, yeah, had her. I've had, I've had Cecilia on the on the show. Yeah, she's yeah.
2: Yes, yes, yes. So I, I worked with her uh, to uh, with streaming it was just I, I paid my earlier films on her on her platform and uh, and she would pay like she would pay and so th- those are some of the things that that we done you know that we were doing in order to bring in revenue. Uh, and so, so you was, would
1: do it, but you would do a sellout to E One for that film. So that was fifty grand. They own it, and that's it. No, or no, is it I
2: it's a license
1: for like five years, like, seven years, or something like that. Uh, we did it for seven years. So seven years, but basically that covers your, your it definitely covered your nut, and you made a profit. Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. So we, you know, and, and we made a profit. And then we took it and we reinvested in uh, into uh, uh, other films, and okay. we just kept going. You know, just come, so uh, after we did um, after we did um, Black Butterfly, we did a film called Black Coffee, which is mm-hmm. A film that we did and it had a, a limited theatrical release. It's a film that we did with RLJ Entertainment, mm-hmm. and so initially I was I was going to do the film with um, Entertainment One, but for some reason uh, if there was a miscommunication, and then we we actually did the film with RLJ Entertainment, you know, which was great, which was which, which was cool working with RLJ Entertainment. And one of the things that I just want to stress is that don't do an all out sell of your project. The, the the objective is to create me to own or do ownership or to license your project so even if you look at black butterfly if you look at um uh, black coffee those movies that i made like 10 years ago i'm i'm still making money off these films because what i do is i i can relicense these films so because it's still doing well over at e1 e1 is going to re- they relicense the film right and so the, right so the objective is to the objective is ownership and so that's how we were able to continue to, you know, make films, continue to. Uh, this is what I do full time. This is what I do full time. And, you know, have a family and things like that. So um, they,
1: you, can't this, play, you can't play around. We can't play. We can't play around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the days of eating ramen in, in, in the one room apartment by yourself, <laughs> those days, those days left. Because I think you yeah. and I are of similar vintages, if, if, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, what we did in our 20s, we can't be doing in our 40s. Yes. <laughs> So I mean, what I love about your story, man, is you're basically the personification of what I preach. I preach long, the long game, creating assets, creating revenue streams, creating, keeping ownership of your projects, being smart how you do it. You're doing your movies for a a smart number. You didn't make Black Coffee, or you didn't make uh, Butterfly for two hundred thousand dollars. Like a lot of no. filmmakers would have. They're like, oh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make this going to be the movie. You're like, no, this is one movie of a career of movies. I'm going to make it for a smart money so I can t- flip it and and keep going.
2: Yes. So I already knew, like, even when making that movie for $9,500 or less, I wanted to keep it for less than $10,000. I already knew, even if I go out and sell DVDs, I'm yeah. going to make that money back. Right. You know, right. And so it so happens that you know, we had a trailer, and Ewan said they're interested in it, and they uh, picked it up. But I already knew. Hey, if I have to do self distribution for the film, I know I can do self distribution and make that money back, and then some. What I
1: what I, what I also preach a lot of, and what you're doing is obviously you know your niche. You are creating a product for a niche audience that you are a card carrying member of. Obviously, like, yeah. you know, like I, when I make my movies, I made my last two movies are based around the film filmmakers and film industry. So I know that niche extremely well. So, you know, your niche very well. And you've built an entire business around that niche audience and, yeah. and creating a being of service to that audience and create and filling a hole that honestly, uh, you know, that needed to be filled with with content yes. that they're looking for. Very similar to what Tyler Perry has done. Uh, uh, you know Tyler's done it on a, a scene level. Um yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but again, that's the other thing I would like to tell people too, is that you don't have to be a billionaire. You could just mm-hmm. provide for your family and keep doing what you love doing. Isn't that the dream? Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because, uh, at the end of the day is,
2: you know, um, so one of the things I love, you mentioned Tyler Perry is the fact that, he you know, he just opened his own studio, oh, man, you know,
1: man. Oh, what an inspiration, yes. man.
2: Uh, but he he knew he did not deviate from his o- audience. He knew that he had that, that that black Christian audience, and what happened is that they s- continued to support what he's doing, and he never deviated from that path. He never tried to go outside of uh, outside of uh, of his audience, and so he just kept. And look look at him now, you know. Mm-hmm. As he, and he you know he has a. Studio, he's doing. A, so. He's
1: not all right. He's doing all right. He's doing all right. He's doing okay. <laughs> he's doing okay. He's you know he's. You know, what are we going to do? Um, yes. No, but no, he is, you're right. He never tried to make a mass, he never switched over to a mass media or, or you know, a large, not a larger audience, but to to cater to another audience. He's like, yes. this is my lane. I'm going to stay in this lane. I'm going to do this lane really, really well. Yes. And and I'm going to just keep pounding it for 20 years. And at the end of these 20 years, I'm going to have a studio that's bigger than Disney, Warner Brothers, and Paramount's backlot all put it together. Like, yes it's obscene what he's been able to put together and i preach that constantly man it's like understand who you're aiming at and i'm assuming when you're building these when you were from your very first movie you knew who your audience was and you knew who you were you knew who your audience was you knew how you were going to sell it and how you were you going to recoup your money am i wrong uh, absolutely yeah because you were bus- yeah, yeah. you were thinking like a businessman
2: yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Th- this is a product <laughs> yeah like my first film we we made for my very first film we made for $500. And it was like a feature fan. We made it for 500. In my second, one, we made it for 500. But again, I knew, I already knew, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, press up DVDs. That's when DVDs were very hot. Press up DVDs, go out, sell the DVDs, you know. So I already knew the audience, who my audience was.
1: And you just literally hustled on the street. You're just like, hey, here's here's my, and then you start building that. I love the whole concept of building events around your movie. Like, hey, you're oh. gonna get some poetry, you're gonna get a, food to play, a, a plate of food, and you're going to get my DVD. So you just kind of like snuck your DVD in there. Yes. Because <laughs> they'll come out for the poetry and the food generally. But like, uh-huh. oh, wait a minute, I get a movie too? And, yes. And I'm assuming later on when you created these events, did you have multiple copies of other movies? Like, hey, if you guys want to buy some movies over here too, did you do something like that or no? Well,
2: whenever, right, well my movies, just my yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when, when I had, like, every time I, I would release a movie, I would have, always have the other movies there as well. And so, but I did also did festivals too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have in Chicago, we have festivals in, during the summertime all day long. So I would, and I will always, no matter where I went, I will always keep a, um, I, would always, I don't do it now, but I will always keep in my book bag with me. And in my book bag, I will always have DVDs. And so people would always see me and say, well, you, every time I see you have, you have your movies no matter where i went i always had my dvds with me you know and i was able to sell them and people were like and people were buying them i would go i would be everywhere all over the city
1: man it, it that's like i said hustle respects hustle brother that's that's you see that's the thing man That a lot of filmmakers don't understand that this is you know to do what you're doing takes a lot of time takes a lot of hard work and you yeah. just don't ha- you just don't stop like you were smart when you started off you like you didn't like oh my first movie i'm going to make for $50,000 like no I don't know enough like I saw in one of your interviews she's like my, your whole first movie was all wide shots yes
2: <laughs> yes the first, everything was wide so I sent it to the editor he's
1: like where's the rest of the movie I was like what do you mean and it was in 2005 so it's not like you could go crop in on, a, on an SD <laughs> image so you can't really like you know make a close up out of it
0: yeah. so your whole
1: movie was basically master shot theater it was a play you recorded a play basically is what you're yes. saying <laughs> But you made the money. Didn't Tyler do something similar with his plays? He actually like filmed his plays and sold it before he ever started making his movies?
2: Yeah, so he would so right. He would do his plays, he would he would film them. And then, then what happened was the bootleggers got them and the bootleggers started uh uh selling them in the barbershops and stuff like that. So you know everybody was talking about deal You know, and so that's what like, you know, and so when he did his first movie, um then it made like I believe like ninety million dollars, yeah, it was a big, yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was for on a like I think the budget was like six million, mm-hmm. you know, even mm-hmm. if it was six million, but he made like ninety million dollars,
1: mhm, yeah he was he he did all right on that one, and yes. that's the thing a lot of times filmmakers, and I'm not saying I'm not advocating for bootlegging uh or for piracy, but in the music industry, that's happened that happens all the time, and then sometimes bands literally just release their music for free. Um, you know, for for bootleggers or for piracy to go through with it, because then they are like you're gonna pay to go see their show, mm-hmm. and you're gonna you're gonna buy a T-shirt. You can't pirate a T-shirt, give or take. You know, you can't download a T-shirt. So that's how they build out their business. Uh, now there was a mo. There's something online I saw that you say you sold ten thousand DVDs. Yeah, is that, is that basically just what we've been talking about, like just hustling constantly? No,
2: no, no, no. This is just from one movie. We did this movie called I Used to Love Her. Oh, that's and- amazing. Okay. Yeah, so I, I always argue—not I mean, I argue—but my lead actor always uh, correct me on this because when I say I told I sold ten thousand movies, I'm saying personally I sold ten thousand. But what we would do is he would get some printed up. My lead actor, whose his name is Mel Rob, and he would get his DVDs printed up, and I would get my DVDs printed up, but separately. And so he would be out there selling his own. He so he sold he sold a, a, a tremendous number of DVDs as well. But me personally, I sold 10000 like me, uh, with a film called, I used to love her. And we did, uh, what we did was, also we did a, a screening at Ice Theater, which is Ice Theater was uh, one of the uh, most well-known theaters in Chicago. Now mm-hmm. it's, it's a studio movie grill. Mm-hmm. But we would rent out the theater and it was 300, like 296 seats, like a 300-seater theater. And we sold, we sold it out like 10 times. And people would just keep coming back, keep coming back. And while people were coming back, and that movie we made for three thousand dollars, of course, and when people uh, come back, <laughs> yeah. Of it me up, sorry, $3, $3, oh, I'm and sorry, thirty so
1: five hundred dollars. Oh, sorry, let's add that extra five hundred because that really helps a lot. <laughs>
2: <yeah>. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, they were. Uh, we would we would sell the DVDs. You know, have mm-hmm. the DVDs ready for them as well. And so, yeah, I mean, it was. But uh, at the same time. It's,
1: no, no, I was going to ask you, so your 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 actor selling it, is he keeping that money or do you guys have a deal? How does that work? He's keeping the money. So he, that was the deal. Was like you can act, so you basically go act in the movie for free. Whatever you can sell is yours. Yes. I'm not sure how good a long-term business plan that is, but it worked for that movie. Yes. <laughs> and a bunch, But at that budget range, you're just like, why not? It makes perfect sense. And it gives him... I mean, for him, that's actually really great. I, there's another story, I, I, another filmmaker who does the same thing that has his actors sell his movies, and uh, there's nothing more, um, uh, th- there's no more motivation than an actor trying to sell a movie that he's the star in. Yes, <laughs> and oh, and
2: he goes, oh, and I'm gonna get paid. Yes, and he got he made he made like his name is Mira Rob. He always correct me on it. He's like Mark. Like you have, you forget it. we sold more than ten. You would sold ten thousand on your own. He said you forget the number that I've sold. And no, mail is a point too. Like when I would do the poetry, uh, the poetry, uh, he would he would host the por- he would host them, mm-hmm. and so we were we would do a, it was like a partnership. And he was been in, he's been in like maybe like four or five of my movies, mm-hmm. you know. So it was it was been like a partnership. Whenever like he was in my first movie, and we sold a a ton of those DVDs. Like that's all we did with that first movie is just the one we shot all wide shot. It was all wide shots. We still put it together, and we went out and sold, and
1: sold it. But are you maybe, still selling? Are you still selling it? Or did you license no. it? No, you just, you're just no, like no, That's no, it. No, that, no. no can't yes. show that. Can't show that anymore. <laughs> so, so <laughs> let, let me ask you, man. Um, uh, so much, We're having too much fun, man. Because I, I forgot what I was going to ask you. Um, or your marketing strategy. Oh no, DVDs. So DVDs were a thing when you started. DVds aren't as pro- prolific now in as far as selling your movies so what are you doing in I mean I'm assuming their budgets have gone up since then uh you know how how is that working like how are you actually making money what is your distribution plan now what are your revenue streams now into in the last like three four years
2: okay uh, uh, thank you for that question so I've been doing a lot of stuff for television and so I've done things for like uh TV one BT uh the last project that um that I've uh, uh, we done and they actually got distribution it was a film that we call that we did called Black and Privilege Volume 1 which is on Netflix and I would love to, I know there was a uh, there was a uh, scene on uh, that people were, like were that went viral mm-hmm. uh, on, as far as with Black and Privilege there was a scene that went viral that I'm um, definitely going to talk about why did we actually edit the scene the way we did uh, mm-hmm. so with that film we made that film for like $4,500
1: oh come on stop yeah.
2: it yeah. And you
1: put that on? You put that on um, on Netflix?
2: It, it get on Netflix, yeah. Son of a bit.
1: How did you yeah. get it on? How did you get it on Netflix? I'm just yeah. curious.
2: So I have I have a uh, um, like my email list again. That email list, um, and so like my email list is like massive. Mm-hmm. Like is is really so. Those are some of the things you have. Like for me, I had to like show like it's an market. asset. It's an asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, it is. And so uh, so that one we just. You know, we we like we license it out to Netflix for one year, you know, and so after that year, what happens is that we get it back and we can take it over, back to Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, you know, and, you know, and and make more money off of it. So, so we he, are. So you made
1: that movie currently for yes, 45, no, 45, 000, sorry, oh, forty five hundred dollars.
2: Yes, forty five. No, forty five thousand.
1: sorry. Still forty five thousand dollars is still yeah. that's still <laughs> a fairly low budget film. Um, so you made that film for forty five thousand everyone's getting paid
2: everyone got paid
1: everyone's getting paid um and and you licensed it to netflix which i'm assuming it, i don't know if you're comfortable telling us what the price was on that did you, did you yeah, I, can't,
2: I can't talk about the price but it was it was it was netflix. it was more it was more
1: than what you paid for it.
2: way more
1: that's all we need to know that's yeah. good that's good enough <laughs> that's good enough yeah so way more than you paid for it and and that's current all right so uh, other than these, like uh, that's a one-off. I'm assuming, like uh, the, because uh, you make so many films a year. How are you generating revenue now? Other than just like, like that. I'm assuming you're not licensing all your movies to Netflix. No. So okay.
2: I, I have I have movies out to uh, most mostly every. My movie has played on every like black uh, network from BET, TV One, uh, Aspire, Bounce, um, uh, like. <sighs> Every every last one, so what I do is I do it like a six more two year license you know, and they pay, and once they pay, you know uh, I could take it somewhere else like like I give you an example black coffee right black coffee has been aired uh has been aired on b t bounce and aspire, so mm-hmm. that's like three different networks you know that has been aired on and and once it's the license is over with Aspire. We may take it over to Netflix because of the success of what Black and Previous is doing. So you know you see so that's the key. The key is is to license your project, and you always make money because people need one, one of the things the networks do is they need content, and if we're providing content, and then not only are we providing content, is that we providing a marketing uh, a marketing uh, a company that we have that we're going to market the film and make sure that people. Watch the film. So whenever my film, hmm? uh, no, no,
1: go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
2: Yeah. So whenever my films uh, air on in, in any of these networks, they always, always successful.
1: So because you're working, so so so, if I could break this down for everyone listening, you've not only created an asset with your projects. You've actually created an asset with the marketing because you've built this massive email list that you should bring to the table as as a package deal. With any, but so you, if you sell to BET or you license your film to BET for X amount of dollars, you tell them I'm going to give you my movie and I'm going to get and you're going to pay me this, but I'm also going to support it with marketing because I know exactly who my audience is and I can target that audience and tell everybody that it's on BET. Yes. And then BET is like great, so that's what Netflix wants, and that's what everyone listening, that's what these streaming services want. Well, all the streaming services want eyeballs they want subscribers they want action and if you can provide them that especially in a niche audience like like the urban market like you have that's Mm -hmm. excellent and and another thing is too man you've become um kind of just like a a leader in this space because you just been doing it so long you know all of a sudden they're like oh this guy's been doing this since 2005 he's been doing this 15 years he's got 20 movies under his belt he must know he must be doing something because he's making quality <laughs> projects and they're being licensed, so regardless if you know what you're doing or not, they're just like he must know something about this market. Am I? Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Yes.
2: Yes. We we uh we've we've been blessed. We've been blessed. Uh, and also I mean I have I have a great team. Yeah. A yeah. great team of people that I work with and um and we just we make them and put them out. How many do you do a year? I try to do um, two movies a year. Just two. Yeah. Yeah, just two. Yeah, on. so both, so what? I, so the objective is so my the objective is uh, and what we're working on is like when I look at like when I, when it comes to like a filmmaker like I love Martin Scorsese. He's like he's the god of it. You know what sure, I'm saying? Sure, sure, sure. But when I look at like the inspiration, my inspiration, I look at Tyler Perry as far as like okay, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at the studio, I'm like, so this is one of the things that you know we're working towards. Whereas You know, um, we're actually not just doing my projects. We're taking other people's projects, you know, and producing their projects as well. And Mm so, you know, within my community, I'm from a community here in Chicago called the Inglewood Community. And from the last year or so, we've just been working and uh, we finally found some land that we can actually say, "Okay, this is what uh, we have. uh, We can build on. So we're looking to open, do our own studio as well. You know, but my inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going, keep going. Yeah, so my inspiration, like when, when, when my inspiration has always been following, you know, when it, uh, following, you know, because I, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of research, and I just, you know, uh, and which is very important, is research and just to study different people, just to study, you know, uh, what is what what is Tyler Perry doing that's making him successful? What is? Uh, uh, Spike Lee's doing is making him successful. What is Mark Scorsese Mar- doing? You know, just studying these different people and studying the different, how does different studios are able to do what they're doing? You know, even though I know you're saying that even though uh, Tyler Perry, uh, they, you know, we say that his studio is bigger than some of the uh, uh, main studios. In theory. Yeah.
1: I mean, the, la- as- the land, the, the, the land, 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 the land, yeah. it's bigger. He's <laughs> not bigger than Disney. He's not bigger than Warner Brothers. He's not bigger than Paramount. <laughs> But the actual studio land and the yeah. facilities, yes, they are.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, so I, I think people get confused with the two. Like, you know, like they just they
1: bring in a billion dollars off yeah. one movie. So I'm talking about the studio. They bring in a billion dollars off the dresses that they sell I, off the characters of that one movie. Are you kidding? Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Man, like, so yeah, so I don't see um, a lot of Medea dolls in no. merchandising. <laughs> No, 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 I think I'm a Medea doll might do well. I'm just saying, if Tyler's listening. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he, he, he's going listen. to have it out.
1: No, I, I was yeah. going to ask you, so the only way you're making money with your movie is just straight up licensing. Are you creating any other revenue streams from your films in any other way?
2: Mm, abs- uh, no, I'm not. So here's some of the things that we are, we are uh, planning on doing, or not planning on, uh, we, we have in, in, in the works, is that uh, one of the things, we're going to open a cafe, and we will open the cafe. One of the things that we're working on is a cafe called Black Coffee, which is uh, named after my film. Mm-hmm. And within this cafe it's gonna be tailored to sell the merchandise from my different films. Whether it's t-shirts, hats, uh, coffee, uh, coffee mugs, you know. So also it's gonna be like a, the merchandising store that we're gonna um, that we're gonna sell all the products. But you're gonna it's also a coffee shop. But it's also a coffee shop.
1: Yeah. Nice, nice. So you're you're building out a business, and you're just you're just leveraging people loving coffee, and obviously liking the movie, and I'm sure you'll have the movies playing in the background and trailers and all sorts of stuff. Yes. So, so it'd be like the Disney Store, but for, for your projects.
2: Yes. So you know, so we have to. That's study. awesome. We, you know, I, I, I have to study like Disney's to see how they have the theme parks and stuff. Like, I'm like this this is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, so they have they have have so much so much revenue coming in. It's 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 crazy.
1: So what I I'm going to send you a copy of my book, my new book coming out called "The Rise of the Film Entrepreneur," which is how to make money with your business, how to create multiple revenue streams from your business from your from your films, and you, you need to read this book because I Thank think you. it's going to make your mind explode. I got a lot of ideas, a lot of case studies in there about mm-hmm. how you can actually make money with your films. Thank you. In addition to, um. Uh, what you're doing, because you're killing it. Don't get me wrong. I, I, you don't need my help. You don't need anything. I gotta say, but um, in addition to it, 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 I think there's you're leaving money on the table, sir. Just from my point of view, you're leaving money on the table. Absolutely. I, I'm,
2: I'm looking forward to reading your book because I know that that book is definitely something that I need.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Now, let me ask you a question, man. What is your experience with the good old-fashioned traditional distributors? I hear they're honest. I hear they're very fair. And they take good care of filmmakers. They pay on time. And they're very easily found on the phone. And the contracts are very straightforward. So can you tell me what your experience is with dealing with film distributors?
2: Work with have, – have an entertainment attorney that understands the deals. Mm-hmm. Um so when you're dealing with certain companies, certain companies work more honorable than other companies. Like, you know, uh, E1 is a, from from my experience, dealing with E1, whenever uh, the check is due, whenever a payment is due, then uh, it's on time. Uh, from working with RLJ Entertainment, who's now owned by AMC, mm-hmm. uh, whenever I'm owed a check or a payment, everything is on time. But there are other companies, which I'm not going to name, which is smaller companies uh, who, um, you know, um, you have to you have to hunt them down for your money. Like what's going on? You know, you have to you know, you have to um, have your attorney to say, you know, to come, reach out to them. So and also you have to like one. of the th- This is how a lot of um, distribution companies get over on filmmakers. And this is what. Uh, so I had put a, a film out through Maverick Entertainment called "I Used to Love It. Mm, yeah. mm, I'm
1: from Florida. I used to work with <laughs> Maverick Entertainment. Mm. I'm so hold on. Let me get let me get that dirt off of me because I feel I feel I feel a little slimy. I I worked with them early, early in the early two thousands over at Maverick Entertainment down there in oh, Florida. Yeah. So um, yeah, Look, they're uh, sorry, sorry about that, I'm, people. Let's you know, move on. I,
2: I totally understand. So one of the things that I did was. Look, with my fam is, you can't put marketing in there. Like, no way that I need you to market my fam because you don't market your fam. So what they do is they put a marketing budget in there of, like, $50,000 or so, and you will never see a dime coming back because the reason you'll never see a dime coming back is because they're always going to say they haven't recouped their marketing. And that's what companies do. And and also, you know, if if they are going to do – if you do want them to do marketing – let the, ask them where are they going to market your film to? The different platforms, the different blog sites, things like that. And you want to see like um, a list of who they paid and how much they paid. You know, you're <laughs> entitled to those things. You know,
1: <laughs> you're, you're you're adorable, sir. You're absolutely adorable. If you think a film distributor is going to give you that kind of breakdown, <laughs> you are entitled to it without question. You're, just,
2: you're definitely never going to get it. Yeah, so you're never going to, so what I did was with them is like, I told them, I don't need you to do my marketing, just put out the fam, you know, and it's so, all, but don't, like, don't fall for the whole marketing trick, as far as them telling you, they're going to do all this marketing for your fam, because they're not going to do it.
1: Yeah, without question. And oh, let's not even get into, there, there's so many ways that they can screw you. It's not even funny. It's just oh, obscene yeah. amounts of way. I actually wrote two chapters in my book about predatory distributors, just breaking it all down. You talked about the um, the uh, the twenty the twenty five percent. What do they call it? Which well, uh, the, well, there, well there's well there's the twenty five percent rate, um, whatever the 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 cut of twenty five percent.
0: fee.
1: Oh, yeah. oh, oh, 25, oh, that's for, for for physical media. Yes, for physical yeah. media, restocking I'm fees. Right. Let's oh, not talk I'm about th- – don't forget about cross-collateralization. Let's not even get yeah. into that. And yeah. there's and I know people are listening like, what is that? I'm like, you'll have to read the book. But um, there's so many ways. Oh, how about film, film markets? Don't forget the film market, chargebacks. Yes. That's, oh, those are fun.
2: <laughs> they charge you – even, even if they're out there and they buy a bottle of water, they charge you for it.
1: I just saw. I just look, man. I just saw a a, a report come in from a filmmaker who was charged two hundred and thirty dollars for closed captioning. What for a sixty minute movie? It was, a, it was a sixty minute movie. And wait a minute, we sent in the closed captioning, <laughs> and they charge you for it. And it, it's it's a it's a thing. So because it's probably default or template, like it's kind of like boilerplate. Like, yeah, we're just gonna say we charge them for this. We're gonna say we charge them for that. We're gonna say we charge them for that. And they don't even look at it until the filmmaker calls up like, Hey, what's this? I'm like, Oh, sorry. If you're not on top of it, they'll just take advantage of you left and right.
2: And then, oh yeah, also uh, do you can do your own closed caption, do your own artwork too. Of course you know because it's, it's much, it's your own trailer, just do all of that, all the marketing stuff, just do all the, the promotion stuff, just do that stuff for yourself. It's cheaper. <laughs>
1: Well, of course. That's what I recommend all the time. It's like give them as many elements and deliverables as humanly possible so they can't charge you for a damn thing. So Because that's yeah. where they're going to up upcharge up you. I saw people charging for closed caption at $1,500, man. $1,500 for a movie, man. That's just absolute pure rape. It's just yeah. – it's horrible, man. It's horrible. Now, um, why – in your opinion, man, why do most independent films lose money?
2: I don't know. I don't I... – I don't know if they really
1: lose money. Yes, they do, man. They all lose money. There's like, there's like 95% <laughs> of independent films don't make money. I want to know, in your opinion, like you are a unicorn, sir. You are a unicorn. There's not many filmmakers that make a lot of money in this business, let alone, they might make one movie or two movies, but to have, to string along 20 movies in a course of 15 years is an unheard of feat. It is a rarity. I've seen it. I I, I know it. Trust me. So in your opinion, what are some mistakes that filmmakers make that could better their chances to make money? Let's put it that way.
2: Okay. I think, I think what we just discussed uh, is very important, meaning that when you do your budget, try to keep your budget uh, pretty low, you know, without, you know, running the quality of, the, of what you're putting out. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, make sure you put in your budget, you know, room for a trailer, your, um, your, um, your artwork and, and, you know, things like that. So you have to uh, definitely deal with an entertainment attorney. And not only that, is that you have to the the, uh, distribution companies have to know that you will audit them as well. You know, they have to know that. Like, you know, like you're not afraid. Like I was dealing with one company. uh, Now I don't want to name the company, but I was dealing with one company that I had told them, like, you know, look, if we don't get this thing straight, I'm going to have to audit you all. You know, and that's what we had to do. And, you know, and every time you audit a company, you're going to trust me, you're going to find money every single time so if if distribution distribution companies were more uh honest filmmakers can actually if they were more honest filmmakers can actually make a living out, out of doing this but at the same time yeah yeah but at the same time filmmakers have to be uh you have to think like this as a business and if you if like for us who you know if you don't understand like the business aspect of it get people around you who know the business don't be afraid to sit down with uh, uh, a, a person, a business owner, and say, OK, uh, or, or actually getting your book and reading your book and doing your research. You're like, you know, every single day you should be finding out what is going on with Netflix, what is going on with Hulu, what is going on with Amazon, what is going on with the major studios, things like that. You know,
1: what is going on with companies? Mm-hmm. So what's going on with companies in the business and stuff? What are you, are you you not self-distributing yourself? Like are you only licensing? Are you not going to like SVOD yourself or TVOD yourself or AVOD or anything like that with your films? Are are you not self-distributing? Are are there no other revenue streams coming in other than licensing it to TV and licensing it to other places? Well,
2: so I have foreign too. So what I do is, I have foreign. So what I, so I have, so I have, um, whenever i do a deal so when i do a netflix deal i have a i have a guy who takes it over to netflix for me mm-hmm. so so ellen blackwell who i've been working with since uh who gave me my first deal and so what he does is you know i take he he takes the film he takes it to netflix but outside of that i'm doing everything else like i do a deal with uh, mnet which is a company out in uh, south africa um, so um any any other any other um companies that we deal with, I'm doing those deals myself.
1: Now you, you you said something really interesting in another interview, and I had to bring it up here. I've been dying to hear this. You say that black film most people say black films don't travel well. That it is a and you're saying that's a myth. Where like oh, yeah. urban films and the whole subgenre of urban films, uh African American films, black films. Uh, that they don't travel well, like they don't go well in Europe. They don't go to well in the Middle East and in, 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 uh, in Asia and things like that. What's your experience?
2: Well, my experience, because here's the thing, my experience has been absolutely amazing. Here's mm-hmm. why. Even like even when you're dealing with uh, comedies in general, comedies in general don't do very well. They don't travel very well. So when you're looking at most black films, most black films are comedies. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at the more serious films, in like my films, like if you take a film like, let's just say like Black Butterfly, or mm-hmm. a film like Black and Privilege, right? Like those films, are a film like Black Coffee, those film films have done very well in Africa because you know we have one point like one point eight billion people in Africa. You have people, all these people in the Caribbean. You have people, all these people in Europe. So and my films have done very well. Like like a guy and in Nigeria sends me a uh, inbox, and he has a, a picture of black coffee and it's been bootlegged over in Nigeria, you know <laughs> in Nigeria. and so um, so I, I have, a, I, have a, I know from experience, like even when I did the film, I used to love her. I used to love her. I've sold so many copies I sold copies in Amsterdam, like and this was me doing distribution and just this people, is a
1: DVDs, DVDs or
2: just a DVDs. And I would just mail these DVDs off.
1: Like, also, but this is self-distribution, so you're just targeting those people yourself. You're not actually making deals with distributors in, that, in those areas.
2: Right. This is, this is me uh, going directly to the people, not to the distribution company. But as far as you're talking about Black Coffee, Black & Privilege, like Black & Privilege is on uh, Mnet. I'm sure you're familiar with Mnet. Mnet is like the, the major uh, uh, broadcast television company in, in Africa. Mm-hmm. So when you're dealing with so, but they reach they reach like fifty, all oh, I think like fifty countries in Africa, and uh, so when you're dealing with Mnet, so I deal directly with Mnet. Now the only market that I haven't hit as far as with on net and uh, when it comes to like uh, network, I mean, the the broadcast companies is the Caribbean market, and that's one of the things I'm working with. I, I'm working with a guy named Joel, and he's out of uh, Saint Martin. And I flew out there, I did a workshop in St. Martin. Um, and so I'm working with him now to see how we can get our projects over to the Caribbean market. You know, so there are those, these markets, whereas but the thing is, is that we know comedies don't do well overseas. So if black people just putting out comedies, of course, like they don't understand a comedy. You know, they right. don't understand the Madeira. They don't understand like the, 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 uh, those type of the, the jokes.
1: But the, thriller, you know? but the thrillers and the dramas, they do.
2: The, the thrillers and the dramas, they do. You know, and those do well. Those do well. Like I have done very well in those different markets.
1: And and um, yeah, man, you got to read that book, man. There's so much money you're leaving on the table. (laughs) (laughs) I want, I want, I want to help you, man. I want to get you more money for your projects because it's. I think, I think you're you're doing such an amazing job, man. Really, you you are an inspiration without question, man. You're an inspiration. I hope everyone listening. You know, gets up off their butt and stops complaining about, it and stops with this lottery ticket mentality. They're like this movie is gonna blow me up. This is the one that's gonna get me the Hollywood deal. And you're like, nah, man, I'm gonna. You're out of Hollywood. You're out of the system. So you're in Chicago, and you're yeah. just making. You're you're making your movies. You're doing your thing. I'm selling it locally. I'm doing this, this, and this, and and you're building a business for yourself, man. And you're supporting your friends, your family, your part, you know, your team rely on you and what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's really wonderful, man. It really, really is wonderful, man. So I, I congratulate you 100%, brother.
2: Thank you, brother. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. So I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all of my guests. Um, yes. What advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today?
2: My, the best advice I can tell you is to break into the business today is just go out, go out have you, get you a screenplay, mm-hmm. make your movie. I mean, because with the technology we have today that we didn't have 20 years ago, I mean, there's n- absolutely no excuse at all not to make a movie, you yeah. know, no excuse. Like you have so much talent that you can find on on uh, on even on social media, you know, so much talent, you know, and. uh and people just want to work. You have, you know, just reach out to the, like, I think a lot of us are afraid to even uh, reach out to the SAG office. Just keep in mind, there are SAG, there are SAG rules and SAG laws and SAG fees or, 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 or that the actors SAG actors can work for. Mm-hmm. Just go to the, uh, to the SAG office and make sure, you know, and hire SAG actors. You know, I think it's like 125 a day, something like that. It's
1: 125 a day now, yeah.
2: Yeah, one, yeah 125 a day. And, uh, and actors want to work. So go out and just make your film. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop
1: you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the technology is cheap enough now, man. You, you mean, and what do you mostly shoot on? Just so, I know a lot of people are probably going to ask that. What do you so, shoot on? What do you edit on?
2: So now we're uh, uh, we're shooting on the red. Okay. Uh, okay. The red nice. Scarlet, and then
1: uh, Da Vinci. You speak in my language, brother. You speak in my language. Before that, what you were shooting? What were you shooting on uh, before we the were red?
2: Shooting
1: on the Canon. The Canon. Okay. Yeah, it's a still a good camera. I mean, it's, it's fine. Um, and the red and Da Vinci now. So you you're solid you solid. Yeah. You're yeah. solid, man. Um, okay. Uh, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life?
2: The lesson it took, uh, patience.
1: Man, that's, the, that's like the number one answer, man.
2: Yes. Patience. I mean, like patience. You know, uh, one of the things I, I think you said that was key was everybody thinking like, you know, that with this one movie, it's going to break me to Hollywood. We have to, like, it took me, it took me, a while to realize that's not my objective, you know, and, you know, uh, I don't want to be, I never, you know, I I don't want to be a higher director. You know, I want to, I want to be a content. I want to create movies, create create content. I want to partner with distribution companies. You're a film, you're a
1: film entrepreneur, sir. You're a film entrepreneur.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. So patience, just be very patient and don't look, don't uh, look to see how, um, how you can um uh, not just be a higher director and but how you can like look long term look long term and, and study the people that went before us you know the, I mean i always i had to study and i had to look at spike lee right spike lee been in this business for over, over 30 years and maybe maybe like 2 or 3 years ago he went on go and this is not a knock against spike lee but he went on go fund me to, finance, uh, to raise a million dollars for one of his movies. And, I'm look, and I, and I had to think to myself, why does he have to go on, maybe he just didn't want to use his own money, but why does he have to go on go, Me to raise a million dollars to shoot one of his movies? I never want to be in that type of position that I have to go to people and go to a GoFundMe to get money from people to get their hard-earned dollars to make my movie, you know, uh, without them getting something in return. You know, and, and that return is return of their investment. So I had to, or, you know, or I, I want to be in a position where I can put up the, all my own million dollars to make my movie or my own five million dollars to make my movie and go to somebody like a screen jam. So a screen jams or Lions Gates and partner with them and say, OK, I want you to just be my distribution company. You know, that's the vision that I think we all should have because times are changing now. You know, times are changing and, you know, you don't just want to see yourself as a higher director. So and at the end of the day, you can leave like if you create, let's just say, like all of my films that I've created, if something happens to me now, they're going to be passed down to my son, my sons. And so revenue, want,
1: revenue will keep coming in
2: and the revenue will keep coming in. So you want to keep that legacy going and going and going, you know, and uh, that's the most important thing.
1: I was talking to um I was talking to somebody who worked with Werner Herzog. Are you familiar with that Werner Herzog, the famous director? If you saw his face. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah Werner yes. Werner Herzog, right? And Werner's early movies, he told he told um the, uh, the guy I know Klaus told him he's like if it wasn't for my early films. He hel- he owns all his early films. His first well, 5 or 10 movies that he shot in Germany, he owns them. And yeah. he licenses them out all the time. He goes, that's what kept me that's what kept me alive all those years while I was still hustling. I'm still trying to get seen. And so it was those early movies that I owned and I kept licensing and I kept making money. And it's residual income constantly coming in. And that's how you have to think. I mean, you got to look at what Tyler did. You know, Tyler Perry partnered with Lionsgate. Yes. You know, he partnered he partnered with Lionsgate. Lionsgate makes a lot of money because of Tyler Perry. They don't own him they don't own his movies they're not hiring tyler to make movies they're partners in in, yes. in this and that's how that's what i'm preaching it's trying to become more thinking about it as a partnership and not like oh you're the only way i'm going to make money and i got to trust that you're going to take good care of me cuz we know how that works out with film distributors yes. you've got to set that you've got to set that deal up in a way that you are partners in it and if you're not um, then that's where the problems lie. And that's where all your hard work is, I call it a non-tax deductible donation. Like if you yes. sign one of those, it's a non-tax deductible donation you're giving to a film distributor, basically for seven years. Yes. Right? Unless you get paid or, or are able to do something with it. Um, now, uh, what is the biggest fear you had to overcome to make your to make your first film? Oh,
2: The biggest fear was uh, um, confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I needed, you know, uh, and it took it took a while, you know, because when you don't um, never been on a film set before, you don't know, you know, you go on a film set, you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure it out as you go along, and as you, you know, the more films you make, go on and on and on. Because like my first film, like, like my first like six or seven films, mm-hmm. it was just me, my DP, and my gaffer. It was like three of us just making films, and I didn't make, I didn't have a real crew. Until I shot Black Coffee in L.A. is when I had a a real crew. I had a real first AD and uh, you know, uh, but I've never had those type of things when we were making our own films. It was like three of us just running around making movies. Mm-hmm. And, you uh, know, and uh, so I had to, you know, I was, you know, each film, I, I would get more, I would get be more confident in what I'm doing, you know. And uh, so that's what I had to co- co- the fear of, you know, of not knowing. You know, of not knowing what I'm doing, of not knowing uh, the art side of, the, you know, I understood the business a little bit, a little bit, you know, but um, just understand the, the fundamentals of making a movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why I had to, you know, and every day is a learning process. Every day, every day we continue to learn. Even even Clint, uh, Clint Eastwood, he said, you know, he, he, I was just reading an interview and he said, like, every time he gets on the set, he's learning something, he's learning something new. You know, and so we can't get in a the, in the position to think that we just know it all every day so you got to continue to learn and, and continue, continue to condition your mind and, you know, and strengthen it,
1: you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, without question. That's one of the benefits of having this show is I get to talk to people like you and I learn something new every day, all the time. Uh, as sure. long, yeah, I mean, I've been, on, I've been doing this thing for 25 years, man. I've been doing this hustle 25 years and in the film business. And every day I'm learning from something new every day. And I, I just know one thing I realize is I know nothing and I have to keep that, that cup has to be open and it can't be full. It has to be, it has to be at least halfway filled. So as new stuff pours in, it doesn't overflow. You got to keep getting that information in as much as you can and educate yourself. Now, the toughest question of all, sir, three of your favorite films of all time.
2: Oh, okay. That's, that's not tough.
1: <laughs> okay. Um.
2: I love um Black Orpheus,
1: which is a film that was made guys. in Brazil. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Uh, that's my all time favorite. Um I would have to say um uh Do the Right Thing in oh, so and, in and Office and of a Gentleman.
1: Oh, I love Office and of Lou Gossett, man, and, and Richard Gere and oh man, oh, that was God. that was great. You know, I, people don't understand that do the right thing was so good that people kept showing up to Spike's movie for the next 20 years in hopes that they would see another do the right thing. Absolutely. Is, is that a fair is that a fair statement? Absolutely. And then and uh, then we find and I think we finally got it with uh Black Black Klansman. I was like, "Ah, oh, here he is. Here it is." But do the right thing is still man is still uh it still his best. Uh, ah, yeah. still his best by without question. Now, where can people find you and the work that you're doing?
2: Oh, uh, it's easy. It's uh you can just Google fifteen fifty five Filmworks. as one five five FilmWorks or Mark Harris Films. Uh you know, this my, my name is a very common name. So you can I think the best way to do it is fifteen fifty five FilmWorks.
1: Got, it. Got and, it. Mark, you have been an absolute inspiration, man. You've dropped some great knowledge bombs on the tribe today. I really truly, truly appreciate you taking out the time because I know you you're hustling right now. I'm sure you gotta go hustle, do something right now after this interview. <laughs> so I do appreciate it, man. But thanks again for being on the show, Thank man. I appreciate it.
2: I appreciate
1: you, brother. If this doesn't inspire you to get off your butt and start building your own indie film empire, I I, I really don't understand what else can do it. I I mean, Mark, thank you, man, so much for coming on the show, dropping your knowledge bombs and sharing your inspirational film entrepreneurial story, man. Thank you again so, so much. If you want to get links to uh, Mark's movies or anything else we spoke about in this episode, for Indie Film Hustle, head over to indiefilmhustle.com forward slash 376. And for Filmtrepreneur, head over to filmtrepreneur.com forward slash 037. Also, guys, if you have happened to have bought my book or listened to my book and read it and enjoyed it, please leave a review on Audible or Amazon. It really does help a lot. So if you haven't, just head over to filmbizbook.com. Click on wherever you bought it and leave a review. It means the world to me. And thank you all for your amazing comments. And, and you know, the schools that have actually been calling me about purchasing bulk copies of the book to start teaching in their schools. I, I'm humbled by the response of this book, and I hope it continues to change the way filmmakers think about making movies. There has to be a mind shift in all creatives and all filmmakers, and I hope uh, this book sparks that change. Thank you guys for listening so much. As always, keep that hustle going, keep that dream alive, be a film entrepreneur, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast at indiefilmhustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E dot
0: com.